Before we dive into the episode, I wanted to let you know I have a free on-demand masterclass called Five Steps to Writing a Novel Without Letting Perfectionism or Procrastination Get in the Way. In this free training, I cover things like where perfectionism comes from, how it's directly linked to procrastination, and what you can do right now to start making real progress with your writing. I also talk about the problem with popular plotting methods and how they can do more harm than good, especially if you're brand new to writing. And last but certainly not least, I share some of the most common mistakes I see writers make so you can avoid them and make this the year you finish your novel. If this sounds like something you're interested in, you can sign up for free at savannagilbo.com forward slash training. One more time, that's savannagilbo.com forward slash training to get your hands on this free masterclass. Coupled with your protagonist's thoughts and feelings, physical gestures can go a long way towards conveying how a character is feeling. But there are a few caveats to this. So first, you can't just tell readers that your character is upset. You need to show exactly why they're upset and what specific thoughts are triggering these feelings. Second, you'll want to avoid using generic gestures like sighing or having a character release a breath they didn't know they were holding, as well as repetitive gestures. So don't use the same gestures over and over if you can help it. Welcome to the Fiction Writing Made Easy podcast. My name is Savannah Gilbo, and I'm here to help you write a story that works. I want to prove to you that writing a novel doesn't have to be overwhelming. So each week, I'll bring you a brand new episode with simple, actionable, and step-by-step strategies that you can implement in your writing right away. So whether you're brand new to writing or more of a seasoned author looking to improve your craft, this podcast is for you. So pick up a pen and let's get started. In today's episode, we're going to talk about how to start a scene with the right amount of context. And by the right amount of context, I mean that the reader has enough context to know what's going on so that they can stay fully immersed in the story. And the reason I wanted to tackle this topic today is because as writers, it's really easy to forget to add the appropriate amount of context into each one of your scenes. When you're writing, you're inside a character's head, so the context is very obvious to you. And because of that, it's not always easy to realize that it might be missing from the page. But readers will definitely notice a lack of context and they'll wind up feeling confused. And their confusion will pull them out of your story. At the very least, it'll make them go back a few pages to make sure they didn't miss something, but the result is the same. They're confused and they're no longer immersed in your story. So the good news is that there are three important contextual elements that you can basically check off at the start of each scene to make sure you're giving readers the appropriate amount of context. And that's what we're going to go over in today's episode. I'm also going to show you how Saba Tahir does this in the first scene of An Ember in the Ashes. So in case you've never read this book, I wanted to give you a quick summary of what we're going to look at before we dive into the meat of today's episode. In the first 800 words of this scene, so everything before the central conflict kicks in, we see Laia who's up late waiting for her brother Darren to come home so that she can confront him about where he's been sneaking off to and what the drawings in his journal mean. She's worried that he's been secretly working for the Empire, the very same Empire that killed their parents and their sister. Darren is about to explain everything when he hears a noise coming from outside the house. So again, this is just the beginning of the very first scene. It's not the complete scene. It's only about 800 or so words. If you want to read the whole scene, you're going to have to purchase the book or download a sample. I will include a link to that in the show notes, but we can learn a lot from how the author set up the context of the scene in the first 800 words. So let's talk about those three really important contextual elements, and we'll look at how those show up in our case study. 
The very first thing you'll want to establish is where and when the scene is taking place. So is it occurring immediately after the previous scene? Has it been five months? Has the location changed? Are we still in the same location? Where and when is this scene taking place? And whatever the case is, you'll want to make the time and location as clear as possible in every scene, ideally in the very first paragraph. This is important because, again, we want to keep readers immersed in the story and we don't want them flipping back pages to be like, wait, how did we get here? What happened? Where am I? So looking at our case study in the very first paragraph of An Ember in the Ashes, the author lets us know exactly where and when the scene is taking place. The first couple lines read, my big brother reaches home in the dark hours before dawn when even ghosts take their rest. He smells of steel and coal and forge. He smells of the enemy. So right away, we know that the protagonist, Laia, is at home, so that's the where, and we know that it's in the middle of the night, which is the when. It's hours before dawn. We can also infer from just these few lines that she's up waiting for her brother to come home, and that for some reason, she associates the smell of steel and coal and forge with the enemy, who is unknown to us at this point. We're going to get more information on that in a second. But that's the very first contextual element that you will want to include in every single one of your scenes, the time and location or the where and the when that the scene is taking place. The second thing you'll want to establish is your character's mental and emotional state. So what are they thinking and feeling when the scene opens? Have they carried in their mental or emotional state from the last scene? Or has it been a little bit since the last scene and maybe now they have a different emotional or mental state? You'll also want to consider what they're expecting to happen or what they're hoping will happen in this scene. So really just everything going on in their mind and in their heart. And this is important to establish at the beginning of each scene because it's going to help contextualize everything that happens in the rest of the scene. It's also going to help you write realistic behavior because you'll better understand what's fueling and motivating your character as they navigate the external events of the scene. And in general, there are two main ways you can show your character's mental and emotional state. Number one, you can let readers into your protagonist's mind and show their thoughts and feelings about whatever is affecting them. Number two, you can let your protagonist's behavior and physical gestures give insight into their mental and emotional state. Coupled with your protagonist's thoughts and feelings, physical gestures can go a long way towards conveying how a character is feeling, but there are a few caveats to this. So first, you can't just tell readers that your character is upset. You need to show exactly why they're upset and what specific thoughts are triggering these feelings. Second, you'll want to avoid using generic gestures like sighing or having a character release a breath they didn't know they were holding, as well as repetitive gestures. So don't use the same gestures over and over if you can help it. And all of this is important because it helps you establish the stakes of the scene. So stakes are basically what your character stands to lose or gain within a scene or within a story. It's why what the protagonist wants is important to them. And you can always get to the stakes of a scene or a story by asking two questions. What does the protagonist think will happen if they succeed? So what do they stand to gain if they succeed? And then what does the protagonist fear will happen if they fail? So what do they stand to lose if they fail? And whatever your answer is, you're going to want to make it as specific as possible. So you don't want to say something like, my protagonist fears that they will feel failure or something that's abstract, like she will feel like she doesn't belong anywhere. You want to zero in on the specific mental image that the protagonist is picturing as their best and worst case scenarios. So really important. You want to be specific. 
And if you articulate a character's hopes and fears, the reader is going to understand why what's happening matters to the protagonist, and they're going to feel more invested in the outcome. It's also what makes things more satisfying if your protagonist ends up succeeding or more poignant if they fail, because now we understand what success or failure means to them specifically. So let's look at the next few paragraphs in the first scene of An Ember in the Ashes. He folds his scarecrow body through the window, bare feet silent on the rushes. A hot desert wind blows in after him, rustling the limp curtains. His sketchbook falls to the floor and he nudges it under the bunk with a quick foot as if it's a snake. Where have you been, Darren? In my head, I have the courage to ask the question and Darren trusts me enough to answer. Why do you keep disappearing? Why when Pop and Nan need you when I need you? So notice how Darren's physical movements and gestures show us how he's feeling. He's sneaking into their bedroom, trying to remain undetected. He also doesn't want Laia to see what's ever in his sketchbook, and he flicks it under the bed with his foot like it's a snake. And he flicks it under the bed with a quick foot as if it's a snake. But Laia has already seen what's inside the sketchbook, and now she's lying awake waiting for him to come home because she's worried about him. So notice how we get to start to see her feelings and her thoughts as she's trying to muster up the courage to confront Darren. And we get all of this on the very first page of the book and of the scene. We're going to see this play out a lot more in a second too. But this is the second contextual element that you want to include at the beginning of each one of your scenes, your point of view character's mental and emotional state. You're also going to want to continue to show your character's thoughts and feelings throughout the scene, which again, we're going to see more of in a second. The third thing you'll want to establish is your point of view character's scene goal. So what does your character want and why does this matter to them? And a lot of writers have trouble with this one because there are really two different goals that you need to think about in each individual scene. Number one, what does your character want when the scene starts? And then number two, what does your character want after the inciting incident of the scene happens? So I won't go too deep into the second part because I have a whole episode about scene structure, and that's episode number 40, which I will link to in the show notes. But basically in that episode, I talk about goals and how they sometimes change after the inciting incident. I will touch on this briefly in a second, but if you want to go deeper, go listen to episode number 40. So in this episode, what we're mainly talking about is that your character needs to be doing something at the start of each scene. They need to be active and they need to have agency. And this is important because it prevents your story from being boring. It also helps readers empathize with and relate to your character because we all want something and we like to see people go after their goals and succeed or go after their goals and, you know, fail, but at least they tried, right? So what is your character doing when the scene opens? What do they want initially? And then why do they want it? And if you've structured your scenes correctly, your point of view character will have already made a choice in the previous scene that resulted in the consequences that they have to act on in the current scene. So you might already know your character's initial scene goal based on the work you did in the previous scene. There are caveats to this, like if a lot of time has passed in between your scenes, but for the most part, you should be following the same central thread from scene to scene. Now, sometimes a character's goal and motivation is really obvious. So for example, let's say in the last scene that you were working on, a character is trying to escape a crime scene unnoticed, but someone sees them and pursues them on foot. So in the next scene, it might be obvious that their goal is to escape whoever's pursuing them. But other times it's not as obvious and you will need to make it more clear for the reader. 
Either way, you will want to make sure that their initial scene goal is explicitly put on the page within the first few paragraphs of a new scene so that the reader knows what to care about. And again, their goal may change after the inciting incident of the scene, but other times it will remain the same. But let's look at our case study first, and we're just continuing the same opening of that scene. Every night for almost two years, I've wanted to ask. Every night I've lacked the courage. I have one sibling left. I don't want him to shut me out like he has everyone else. But tonight's different. I know what's in his sketchbook. I know what it means. You shouldn't be awake. Darren's whisper jolts me from my thoughts. He has a cat's sense for traps. He got it from our mother. I sit up on the bunk as he lights the lamp. No use pretending to be asleep. It's past curfew and three patrols have gone by. I was worried. I can avoid the soldiers, Laya. Lots of practice. He rests his chin on my bunk and smiles mother's sweet, crooked smile. A familiar look. The one he gives me if I wake from a nightmare or we run out of grain. Everything will be fine, the look says. He picks up the book on my bed. Gather in the night, he reads the title. Spooky, what's it about? I just started it. It's about a djinn. I stop. Clever, very clever. He likes hearing stories as much as I like telling them. Forget that. Where were you? Pop had a dozen patients this morning. And I filled in for you because he can't do so much alone, which left Nan to bottle the trader's jams by herself. Except she didn't finish. Now the trader won't pay us and we'll starve this winter and why in the skies don't you care? I say these things in my head. The smile's already dropped off Darren's face. I'm not cut out for healing, he says. Pop knows that. I want to back down, but I think of Pop's slumped shoulders this morning. I think of the sketchbook. Pop and Nan depend on you. At least talk to them. It's been months. I wait for him to tell me that I don't understand, that I should leave him be, but he just shakes his head, drops down into his bunk, and closes his eyes like he can't be bothered to reply. I saw your drawings. The words tumble out in a rush, and Darren's up in an instant, his face stony. I wasn't spying, I say. One of the pages was loose. I found it when I changed the rushes this morning. Did you tell Nan and Pop? Did they see? No, but, Lia, listen. Ten hells. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear his excuses. What you saw is dangerous, he says. You can't tell anyone about it. Not ever. It's not just my life at risk. There are others. Are you working for the Empire, Darren? Are you working for the Marshals? He is silent. I think I see the answer in his eyes and I feel ill. My brother is a traitor to his own people. My brother is siding with the Empire. If he hoarded grain or sold books or taught children to read, I'd understand. I'd be proud of him for doing the things I'm not brave enough to do. The Empire raids, jails, and kills for such crimes, but teaching a six-year-old her letters isn't evil. Not in the minds of my people, the scholar people. But what Darren has done is sick. It's a betrayal. The Empire killed our parents, I whisper. Our sister. I want to shout at him, but I choke on the words. The Marshals conquered scholar lands 500 years ago, and since then, they've done nothing but oppress and enslave us. Once the scholar empire was home to the finest universities and libraries in the world. Now, most of our people can't tell a school from an armory. How could you side with the Marshals? How, Darren? It's not what you think, Laya. I'll explain everything, but... He pauses suddenly, his hand jerking up to silence me when I ask for the promised explanation. He cocks his head toward the window. Through the thin walls, I hear Pop snores, Nan shifting in her sleep, a morning dove's croon, familiar sounds, home sounds. Darren hears something else. The blood drains from his face. 
So we know Lia stayed up late to ask Darren where he's been sneaking off to and why he has certain drawings in his sketchbook. She wants to confront him and she wants answers. You can see from Lia's thoughts that she's not going to let this go. She is very determined to get answers. And from Darren's actions, you can tell that he's trying to avoid a confrontation with his sister. He doesn't want to tell her anything because he doesn't want her to be in danger either. So that's the third contextual element you will want to establish at the start of each scene. What your point of view character wants at the very beginning of each scene before the central conflict kicks in. I also want to point out that we know what's at stake if Darren gets caught because it's laid out nicely in this scene opening. This is why Laia is so worried about him running around late at night. If she doesn't get answers to where Darren's been and why, she will continue to be tortured by his absence and she might even lose him like she lost her parents and her sister. So remember earlier I said you want to be specific with the worst case scenario, and we see that in this example here. Laia is very worried about him being killed like her parents and her sister. And this is important because at the end of this example, remember we're only looking at the first 800 words in this scene, Darren hears a noise coming from outside the house and we learn that it's the Empire conducting a night raid. So going into the central conflict of this scene, we already know what's at stake and what kind of people the Empire are. We know exactly what Laia is worried about happening. And this noise that Darren hears or the Empire coming to do a night raid, this is the inciting incident of the scene because it kicks off the central conflict and it gives rise to a new scene goal for Laia. So now she wants to escape and survive this raid. Eventually, she's going to face a tough choice to either stay and help her family, risking her own life in the process, or she can run to save her own life, which means leaving her grandparents and her brother in the hands of the Empire. So that's kind of how the scene wraps up. And again, I'll put a link to this book in the show notes if you want to read it, but at the very least, you can check out a free sample on Amazon if if you want to read the rest of this scene. So once this scene is over, there's another scene in which the author establishes all of these same contextual elements, the setting, the protagonist's goal and their motivation, their mental and emotional landscape, and what's at stake. Now imagine if we didn't have this setup or these 800 words that we just went over, and imagine if the story and the scene just started with a knock at the door. Without all of this context, we wouldn't be as invested in Darren or Laia's fate because we wouldn't really know what to care about. So I think this is a great example of a story that starts with action, but that also gives us the right amount of context to pull readers straight into the story. Now, establishing the proper amount of context like this at the beginning of a new scene might feel tedious or like you're laying it on too thick or being too obvious. But trust me, it's crucial if you want to keep readers engaged and following the story. If you don't ground the reader at the start of each scene by establishing the appropriate amount of context, you run the risk of confusing them and pulling them out of your story. If the reader doesn't know what's happening, where it's happening, or why something's happening, they're going to fill in the blanks themselves, which can lead to misunderstandings and further confusion. And confused and disengaged readers put books down and they don't come back to them. So keep these three contextual elements in mind and put them in place at the start of each scene. If you do that, the reader will feel well-oriented within the scene and they'll care much more about whether the protagonist will succeed or fail. So they will want to keep turning the pages to find out. Now let's do a very quick recap of the key points before I let you go. 
Key point number one is that you want to make sure you have enough context at the start of each one of your scenes, because without the appropriate amount of context, a reader is going to feel confused and their confusion will pull them out of the story, which is not ideal. We want them to be immersed in our story. Key point number two is that there are three things you want to establish at the start of each scene. So that is where and when is the scene taking place? What is your protagonist thinking and feeling or what is their mental and emotional state? And number three is what does your protagonist want and why? In most cases, you'll also want to touch on what's at stake if they succeed or fail as well. So if you set those things up in the start of each one of your scenes, your reader should feel appropriately grounded and engaged. Key point number three, and this is kind of a recap of the whole idea of what we talked about today, but basically everything we talked about in this episode is the setup of each one of your scenes. So after you've set the stage and set up these three contextual elements, you're going to want to bring the central conflict into your scene. And you can do that by using the scene structure that we talk about in episode number 40. So I will link to that in the show notes, but basically... But basically, the central conflict comes in, which may give rise to a new goal or an adjusted goal, and then your protagonist will face a tough decision at some point in the scene that moves the story forward. And again, you can hear all about that in episode number 40, so I will link to that in the show notes for you. But seriously, if you put these three contextual elements with the scene structure that I talk about in episode number 40, you will start to produce very strong scenes. And people ask me all the time, what is the number one piece of advice you'd give writers? It's always to learn how to write a scene that works. Because you've probably heard me say this before, but if you can write a scene that works with a nice arc of change, then you can write a story that works with a nice arc of change. So just keep that in mind. So that's it for today's show. As always, I want to thank you so much for tuning in and showing your support. If you want to check out any of the links I mentioned in this episode, you can find them over at savannagilbo.com forward slash podcast. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the show because there's going to be another brand new episode coming out next week. If you're an Apple user, I'd really appreciate it if you took a few seconds to leave a quick rating and review. Your ratings and reviews tell iTunes that this is a podcast that's worth listening to. And in turn, that helps this show get in front of more fiction writers just like you. So that's it for today's show. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, happy writing.